Welcome to Social Mental Health. Social Mental Health is a bi-monthly podcast that explores the social stigmas and other barriers to receiving proper mental health care. The stories told here are honest, lived experiences. We will be dealing with tough subjects like self-harm, suicidal ideation, and prejudices. It is my hope that in exploring these stories, it inspires others to combat the social stigmas and barriers to mental health. I am Janet Peavy, and I thank you for your attention. Okay, so we're talking today here with Liz, who is somebody who has um, been through college and is currently in a master's program. Wait, and- did you say Liz? Liv. Oh, did I, <laughs> I, I meant Liv. It, it, I'm still waking up today, girl, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so you want to restart. <laughs> I'll want to restart that. Okay, I'm so sorry. It, I, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're talking here today with Liv, who has agreed to come in and talk with us. She has been through a bachelor's program and is currently in a master's program at a major university. And she has also dealt with some of her own mental health issues. And she's here to talk with us about her experiences. Thank you, Liv, for joining us. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to get to talk to you about this subject today. Thank you. Well, I know that it's really sensitive. And um, as we have with other episodes, we are going to start with a trigger warning. It is possible that we will talk about some very sensitive topics that may include eating disorders, self-harm, and suicidal um, thoughts. So just so that everybody is aware that that is part of the subject matter today. Liv, um, talk to me a little bit about what recognizing the signs of a mental health issue looks like from the person that's experiencing it? What is, how do you first notice that maybe something isn't quite right? Um, so something that honestly, from my perspective as a kid, um, as well as my family that we've talked about over the years now that I'm adult, like I'm an adult, um, mm-hmm. I started showing signs of depression, as well as potentially a mood disorder as early mm-hmm. as nine years old as a kid. Wow. And it's interesting because something that I can think about here, when you're nine years old, no one's thinking, oh, this, this kid has bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. But you're right. noticing the frequent mood swings. Um, and I noticed my inability to regulate my emotions. And that kind of goes into other things outside of bipolar, you know, but it, it's difficult as a child because you don't know, uh, oh, is this my hormones, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's from an insider's perspective, but also what my parents and other family members have told me, you know, is this growing child mm-hmm. developing mental health issues or are they going through normal female human emotions? <laughs> and it's right. definitely a mixture of the both because as I've gotten older, I've been able mm-hmm. to regulate myself a little bit better, but it did mm-hmm. end up developing to be mental health issues. And so those were the telltale signs. Um, my mood's shifting really mm-hmm. quickly. Um, another thing I know when I first moved to Texas, and this is around the age of nine, 
as well, mm-hmm. I isolated a lot. Okay. And that was also really tricky for myself and my family because, oh, is she just upset because we moved here in the summertime and she has no friends? I mean, I moved mm-hmm. from Kentucky to Texas at the beginning of the summer. So is she sad because of that or is something else going on here? And mm-hmm. I, I isolated a lot, I remember, in that summer, but it kept going. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, it was really hard for me eventually to leave my bedroom or leave this little office that I had where I'd play video games. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think another telltale sign for mental health for myself was I was pulling away from not only family, but activities and friends. Um, I always say now that I'm an adult, one of my mm-hmm. life regret, regrets was I quit dance, um, especially mm-hmm. ballet, in middle mm-hmm. school, and I've always regretted it. Um, and I was told that as a kid, but, you know, when you're dealing with overwhelming emotions as a child, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to do it anymore. All I wanted to mm-hmm. do was be home. I just wanted to mm-hmm. be in my room, play video games talked to my online friends, and that was it. And, you know, at the time, it wasn't really a sign to me because I was too young to understand, Mm -hmm. but definitely my family. Um, And I even had friends that recognized it. I remember, I think I was 13 or 14, and I was a part of a church youth group. And Mm -hmm. I had not left my room in days Um, besides, you know, well, my mom would force me, but (laughs) um, I really didn't ever want to leave my room. And I remember it had been days and I had a bunch of my childhood friends show up and they forced me to go to youth group. And that was some top tier isolation. I ended up having to leave. I remember because I got sick. Um, oh, wow. I, I don't think I had ate properly or something. I don't know. And I think that's a really big sign. You know, I'm 13, mm-hmm. 14, blacking out in go- the gospel of youth group. And wow. I, I just didn't ever want to do anything. I didn't want to stand up. I wanted to sit at my my desk or my bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And it's sad, but, you know, it's a little bit goofy at the same time for me. I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to face the real world. And I, I think, you know, I'm talking more from the age of 9 to 13, 14, but really the signs hit at age 15. Um, I really shifted as a person, um, and I, I had a lot of insecurities that started showing up, and I started covering my body up more. Um, I, I, I was skipping school, and I think that's a really big sign when you're a kid is – truancy or risk of truancy. Um, I remember in sophomore year was when I started skipping school behind my parents' back. (laughs) And, and, but then I also wouldn't at the same time. I, it was before geometry. That was my, it was A or B days. I had geometry and I hated math still do to this day because I'm not, (laughs) but I used it as a way to not go to school. You know, mom, I'm so anxious. Can I please skip today? And I mean, there was just so many signs, the isolation, the 
skipping school all the time, personality change, depressed, um, my appetite changing and all of that. And it ultimately led me to have to do a homeschool program. I mean, my life just took a complete turn. Um, And I would like to state that some of these things that I went through can also be from physical health issues. You know, they can resemble the same things. But for me, that was that was telltale signs. All of that over the years, just adding up and just completely changed as a person. Wow. You know, you mentioned something that we've talked about in some other episodes. So part of the irony of mental illness is that it's an illness that breeds isolation, but it's reaching out to people that can help you feel better. So you've got on the one hand, an illness that's telling you to self-isolate and keep yourself closed off from people. But in order to heal, you have to do the exact opposite. So how do you sit with that? How does that work itself out in your head? I got better with that as an adult. And I'm going to be completely honest. That wasn't until about two years ago and I'm 24. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think essentially it gets down to, do you want to have that help or are you giving up? Because that was a big thing for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I even had friends and family say things to me where I'd be like, well, I'm in therapy. So I am trying to get help, but I wasn't doing all of the work and Mm -hmm. That's a that's a, a big difference in it. And nowadays, when I don't feel good, even though I love to isolate sometimes, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, extrovert, I'm an ambivert. Um, mm-hmm. been, you know, sometimes I have no energy to be around people when I'm upset. I, I just don't, yeah. I can't do it. But at times I have to force myself. And that's uh-huh. where I get that connection. And I remember, you know, hey, my friends, and family are here. And that's one of the driving forces in my life is very much my, my friends and family. So it's just a tricky situation. And then for me, it took age and acceptance for sure. That's, that's a lot. And it sounds like a lot of bravery to go to places where you're not necessarily comfortable at a really young age. Honestly. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, one of my favorite lines to say to people is there's no change in comfort. It's a famous quote, but I use that with anybody that I talk to that's struggling with mental health um, or any other things in their life. You know, it doesn't have to be mental health. Um, could be a bad relationship. You know, you're, you're not going to have that change if you sit in your comfort. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's very true. You have to be willing to try something that's going to help you feel better. And sometimes that's the very thing that makes you uncomfortable with mental health. Yeah, the last thing you want to do sometimes. And it yeah. it doesn't always work at first. I mean, mm-hmm. I have been in and out of psychiatric facilities since I was, uh, I think, 14. And like I said, I'm 24. And I've been mm-hmm. counseling or therapy besides little breaks here and there since I was 13. So it's like 11 years. And like I said, I really didn't start to see a huge change in myself Mm -hmm. until about two years ago when I finally accepted that I needed to make some major changes. 
it's a long journey. Yeah. But ultimately it was worth it in the end. And that's where, and you know, I still have my problems. I think we all do. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that's where I, that's how I got to where I am today, you know, going into social work. And I hope to inspire people who have been through similar or even different backgrounds as, as me and push them forward. Cause I, I, I definitely needed that. So. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about what, if you had your ideal world, how could somebody best support someone dealing with suicidal ideation? Um, well, I could, so with what to do in that situation, um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's difficult and it really depends on the person. You know, one thing that I can think of for myself, I, you know, as I said, I, I depend a lot on friends and family and it doesn't necessarily have to be conversations that are being held, but mm -hmm. physically being there. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I even have online friends, you know, who will call me and will watch a movie online. And that's the same thing for me. You know, someone being, mm -hmm. I think that's huge. It goes back into the, the connection that we need. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is physical reassurance in the sense of, you know, one way that I feel comfort and I express and give comfort to other people is physical touch. Mm -hmm. And so it could be, you know, I'm, the comfortability with the friend or family member rubbing their back while they're talking to you or crying, you know, hand holding or hugs. But I always say to make sure that that person's okay with that because there's a lot of people that do not like that. Mm -mm. But that's my, my main love language is physical touch. And so I think that's mm -hmm. why it's a great way to comfort some people, but not all. So you always want to ask for reassurance, you know, Hey, can I, can I give you a hug? And it also mm -hmm. depends on your relationship. Some people you just know, <laughs> yeah. you know my, friend, my friends and family know is me. I want a hug. So yeah. <laughs> but if you don't know them well, you know, you might want to ask. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another thing, I mean, perfect world, um, allowing someone to become uh, vulnerable with you. Um, as well as when it comes to letting someone be vulnerable, you don't want to get angry and you want to control your own emotions because you don't want to make it about yourself in that conversation. Um, and I can struggle with that. Um, I, I, the way that it's been explained to me because I'm neurodivergent, sometimes I tend to relate to scenarios and I've had to learn to control how much I'm saying because I don't want to make it about myself. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just how my brain works with patterns and everything. <laughs> so, sure. but it's a yeah. great way to support people at the same time, as long as you're not taking the spotlight off of them um, mm -hmm. because it lets people know that they're not alone. You know, mm -hmm. um, you may have not even been through the same exact situation, obviously, but, Oh, Hey, you know, I, I, I struggle with, this sorrow from, uh, for example, a breakup or something from my last boyfriend, you know, I get how you feel. It, mm -hmm. That can be a really great, great way to support people.
But at the same mm-hmm. time, we're all human. We all make mistakes. So there's no perfect world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think there's probably things that people do and say about mental health that probably are not so helpful. So what are some of the things that you've experienced that people have said in the in the spirit of trying to help but were distinctly not helpful to you? Oh, I've got, I've got two that I can give you there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Downplaying someone's emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. Invalidation. Yes. If I I love to say to people, you can't tell someone how to feel because they're feeling that way. You you can't tell them, no, you shouldn't feel that way because they just do. You can't help Uh that. You can't change that. Um, And yeah, that's just invalidating them. You know, even if it seems irrational to you listening to something that someone's very upset about, you don't tell them that, you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes all someone needs is for someone to listen when they're in those suicidal ideation uh, processes. And I want to emphasize the word listen because, Mm -hmm. um, something that I've read about over the years is hearing versus listening and listening is intentional versus hearing, you know, you're not interpreting what that person is saying. So you want to be an open listener um, in, in having intent in the conversation. And, you know, uh, something that I've struggled with, with over the years is, as I said, I have issues with regulating my emotions uh, mm-hmm. and, I have had people when I'm trying to just express how I feel, give me that nice term that some of us have heard, you know, you're like walking on eggshells. It's very common with people like myself. (laughs) And I've gotten better about that over the years, but also at the same time, sometimes I think I've only gotten better about that because after I've had my feelings invalidated so much, I go quiet and I don't want to open up as much. So that's a huge one for me. But um, another another one that greatly affected um, my life, and I know other people, when someone is expressing suicidal thoughts, um, you don't want to immediately interject and talk about, well, let's take you to the hospital, you know, a, a mental mm-hmm. hospital. And really you want to listen first, again, going back to listening and do they have intent? Do they have no intent of carrying it out? Because it's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we go through really rough emotions and sometimes we don't even know what we're experiencing. And so we'll say, Oh, I'm suicidal, but you don't actually want to do anything. You just want someone to listen to you and hearing, well, let's take you to the mental hospital. That's going to make the person Mm -hmm. draw back you know? Yeah. Um, so you want to listen, figure out if they have intent before discussing hospitalization. Uh-huh. So I, I think that's a, that's a huge, huge thing that we can, we can all, you know, once again, human mistakes, human error in that, but I think that's very important. I think that's a, an excellent point. And I think it's one that unless you've been on this journey yourself, you don't necessarily understand what that difference is. Yeah. That there can be a difference between a passive suicidal thought, like you were describing, where it's just in your head, you know, it's there. But that is a very different one from 
okay, I have a plan, I have the means, and I have an intent. Yes, exactly. That is a very different space. Exactly. And unfortunately, I just don't think there's a lot of information out there, um, again, unless you've been on this journey before, Yeah. for people to understand what that difference is. And, and I think it's tricky also, especially as a future practitioner, because you don't always necessarily know when someone's being honest. I mean, mm-hmm. people can have plans and if you know the rules, the laws, the regulations behind mental health, you know how you can manipulate that situation. So it's just tricky, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I, I've lost friends and almost lost friends and family as well to suicide. And, you know, it gets into, well, I, I don't want to not say anything or offer assistance or even call that wellness check. Mm-hmm. There's no actual plan, but you never know. You never know. So it's 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 rough. It's a hard, hard thing to deal with for sure. Yeah. I mean, do you have any advice for somebody who's navigating that with a loved one? Um, I mean, really, again, I mean, you could go be there with them uh, physically. I've had friends as well, again, who don't live near me. And if I'm feeling that way, they will, they will sit on the phone with me all night, you know, not even um, necessarily talking, but right. Sitting on discord, we'll play video games, go to sleep together, just, just to make sure and ensure that safety. And yeah. I, I think it just goes into how well, you know, that person, uh, okay. kind of like my, my therapist, you know, I could be open and honest with her, Mm-hmm. I, I have suicidal thoughts and she knows me well enough at this point when, Hey, we need to, we know we need to go do that 72 hour hold versus mm-hmm. I need to talk. I just need you to listen. So yeah, I, it, once again, it's, it's difficult. It would really depend on how well you know the person. Um, but definitely being there is a major, major thing, but also taking care of yourself, you know, your mental health matters as well. Yeah, that's a good point because that can be just as tough for people supporting someone. Yes. That's this. So there's a lot of misinformation out there and the misinformation gets murkier if like say you mentioned neurodivergency or if, you know, it society has actually got a lot of built-in prejudices mm-hmm. in it. And we hate to admit that, but they're there and they do affect people strongly that have mental health issues. So neurodivergency, um, people that identify as LGBTQIA, there's a, um, it's a known problem that there, there are more people who identify as LGBTQIA in hospitals Mm -hmm. compared to the general population. Like that it's a very disproportionate number. Why do you think that is? I'm, that that's that's a really really complex uh, topic, honestly. Yeah. And we don't even know all, all of the the answers at all in the research world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> because I mean, one thing that I can bring up with the LGBTQ plus, um, mm-hmm. we know transgender um, individual suicide rates for attempt is mm-hmm. extremely high in countries all around the world. I, I think mm-hmm. it's like. I don't know what exactly it is in the U.S., but I know that it's about 32 to 50 percent. Uh, don't quote me on that, though. 
Mm-hmm. Somewhere yeah. around that range. It, it's pretty high. Uh-huh. It's pretty high rate. Um, and for why? I mean, as I said, it's complex. I mean, it, you can go into social media. Who is who is accepting you? Who's not? I mean, mm-hmm. one thing that we've we've talked about with having so much access to the media is not something that the human race is used to. We're kind of mm-hmm. pea pigs, you know. It used to be you had to wait for your newspaper and go through all of it to know what was going on in the world. Um, right. Now, I mean, you get a notification, bombing and blah, 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 you know. And so all of this access to such horrific stories and everything, especially with LGBT, I, I think it's it's making it worse. Uh, really? Yeah, of course. I mean... You know, you you see these people online, you know, you can post something, let's say you're um, a lesbian woman, right? And Uh you just post you and your girlfriend and somehow the wrong people get a hold of your post and start attacking you. And then uh, someone that's part of the LGBT that may be closeted and their child sees that. How do you think Mm -hmm. that's going to affect them? Um, So as I said, it is, there's just so much into it. Mm-hmm. I think another issue that we're having today with mental illness and LGBT is political. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're fighting for acceptance as, as someone that identifies as pansexual. Um, and, you know, used to be pretty mean to myself about it as a kid. And um, you see these policies um, being trying to be put in place or being put in place or businesses that won't make a cake for a gay couple, you know, for their wedding. And it's just, it's just so much. I think we're surrounded by so much negativity. Um, Yeah. More than usual. Um, But I mean, there's, there's a lot more that I think goes into it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think one thing, I mean, for myself that I've thought about, um, I remember when, gay marriage was first passed. It's actually still um, written in my closet. <laughs> I wrote a little quote about how happy uh-huh. it was with Sharpie on my, in my closet. And it's still, because <laughs> I was so happy. I was so overjoyed. I was like, oh my God, I could marry a woman one day if I want to. And now, uh-huh. you know, you have politicians trying to take that away. And I think that affects mental health tremendously. You know, you made, you took a huge step forward and now you're taking, trying to take a huge step backwards. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it, there's just a lot that could that could go into that. But that's some of what I think, at least in American terms. Because mm-hmm. um, I will say that there are other countries that are a lot, a lot worse. And we, we do know that. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate. And since we know that, that again can affect... Um, mental health as well all around the world of course i think part of what we see with um mental health in the lgbtqia community is everyone needs support and at a very point in their lives where they're coming out they're realizing who they are suddenly a lot of that support disappears at least that's what um what's been told to me before. So um, is that something you've experienced yourself? Cause I can't, ima- I imagine that would make the journey more difficult. 
I mean, I have family members that still have absolutely no clue. <laughs> so, oh, wow. You know, uh, okay, that, that's yeah. on purpose. Um, I know mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I, I know they would still love me because of how my family dynamic is, but, um, yeah. and I'm not talking about my parents. I, I'm talking about mm-hmm. outside of, outside of that. Um, but I haven't, I haven't been fully open and honest with them about it. Um, because I don't necessarily know what they would say to me. And that, that goes into the support, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I am not super public about it on social media other, rather than in terms where my family members are on it, you know, mm-hmm, her, sure. rather than coming from an ally perspective, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that's, affected my acceptance towards myself. Um, I mean, I dated a woman that was uh, transgender and a lot of my family has absolutely no clue to this day. And, mm. you know, I'm still mm-hmm. friends with that person and we broke up, I think three years ago, but so they've been a part of my life for a while, but mm-hmm. I have family members who have no idea about it because I just knew they wouldn't support me. And I think that tremendously affected my mental health over the years and it still could. I mean, as I said, mm-hmm. they still don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, it, it's rough. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, some people completely lose their whole family and they only have friends. There's wow. documentaries about that. Um, there was actually one movie that I watched. Oh my God. I cannot remember the name of it. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. prayers for Bobby. And okay. the mother was, or the f- whole family was very, very religious and they mm-hmm. could not, they refused to accept that their son was gay. And it's a true story. Sorry, I mm-hmm. just with that. And mm-hmm. he ends up taking his life um, mm-hmm. it, because he lost all of his family support. And I mean, he had no one, but I think it's maybe, uh-huh. maybe a cousin and then friends. And yeah, I just... You can lose a lot of people just because mm-hmm. you're a part of that community. Even being just an ally, advocate, you can lose lose people. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, again, that goes back to what we were saying that, you know, when you're on a mental health journey, that support is so crucial. Yes. And when it's taken away on top of what you're dealing with that effect has to be just absolutely magnified. I mean, I'm not trying to sensationalize your experience. Yeah. So please don't hear that. No, you're okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's support is just so crucial. It's one of the things, you know, when you're working with people in a clinical setting, you ask about protective factors. And that's the number one is who do you have around you that supports you? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I, I've been asked that question a million times in my life and in places. So yeah. it's like, it really is one of the main questions. Um, it, it is essential. Um, and that, that can be a little scary. I mean, like I said, with that, that uh, film that's based on a true story, he lost almost all mm-hmm. his support and he unfortunately lost his life over it. So we need that human connection. Yeah. And we know that, we know that for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be really helpful for people to recognize that, 
you're not going to change somebody just by expecting them to be different or, you know, telling them that they should be different. It's, you know, it, it's that feeling I think of lack of acceptance and trying to force somebody to be something that they're not where the problems start coming in. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, they lead their lives with pride a lot and, um, centered around their own ego and their morals and everything. And I mean, we all do that. Mm -hmm. I, I think once you start hurting somebody that you really care about, you really should reflect on your decisions that are being made, especially with your children. And once again, going back to that movie, a part of why that movie was made, it was made by the mother, you know, Oh. And she realized the, the huge mistakes that she made with her son, and she lost him over it. So, yeah. As a as a mother, that just goes straight to the heart. I can't imagine losing one of my children like that. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would want us to know about your journey and what somebody can do to be a helpful support to someone who's struggling with us? Um, helpful support. I mean, really, it just goes back into, you know, being your friend or loved one, family members, backbone. I mean, mm-hmm. and as I said, you know, you have to have your own self-care. I mean, we all, we all need to focus on ourselves as well, but just being there for people. Um, One thing that I can think of is just being genuinely kind in a world Mm -hmm. full of so much hatred and crime and violence, war. (laughs) Not to get too far off topic, you know, but I mean, we live in a cruel world and that's, that's really never going to change. There's too many people for that. Right. So you can start with yourself and Mm -hmm. be kind to those around you. Um, I, I can't tell you the amount of times in my life where I, I have genuinely gone down my elevator and I was crying before I got on that elevator and I run into some random person and they, they go, oh, I, I love, love your hair or your outfit, you know, saying something, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be a compliment, you know, it must mm-hmm. be you're getting, you were on the elevator, stairwell, passing by someone Hey, I hope you have a good day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that can completely alter someone's day. It's done that for me. And yeah. because of knowing that I have taken that and begun to do that myself over the years. Uh, so I think if you could take anything from this, yeah, mm-hmm. the genuine, genuine kindness and, and care for other people. And it sounds so cliche, but it's a lot more difficult than it sounds. That's true. And to be genuine yeah, about it, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much yeah. for talking to us today. And, and thank you for being so open about some really tough and sensitive topics. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, getting to talk to you and I, I'm looking forward to letting people hear this, especially my friends and family. They're excited. <laughs>